This is Ham College, Episode 73, for January 31st, 2021. This episode of Ham College is brought to you by ICOM. ICOM's IC705 is for hams that like to enjoy what both the great indoors and outdoors have to offer. Good evening, and welcome to another episode of Ham College. I'm Professor Thomas. And I'm generally cheap. And that you are. (laughs) Uh, We appreciate Emil joining us tonight. Tommy had some last-minute schedule changes at work and was not able to join us this week. But uh, We're going to push right on through it because it just so happens... Email is studying for his extra exam as we speak. Yes, I am. As a matter of fact, this topic is near and dear to me at the moment. So hopefully it's a no buzzer show. Hey, you know, Arnie does not appreciate that. He would prefer <laughs> buzzers. And I think Glenn would, too, judging <laughs> well, by what I see in the chat room. And we might have some bloopers now. I'm, I'm not uh, I'm not. Dean uh, trained or certified, so. True. But you are the director of financials. That's right. And general E. Cheap. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, last week, not last week, last episode, we talked about what? I don't know that you know that, so maybe I should say. You know? Well, hold on there. Professor, oh, have I have been? been paying attention in class. Okay. And I, I have a feeling you guys were talking about some of the digital modes up in the VHF and UHF ranges and um, some other modes, uh, the Earth, Moon, Earth, and media scatters, some of the procedures there. So I kind of remember, and I've been paying attention in class. I see that you have. Uh, you could do very well on your exam then. Um, uh, this month we're going to be talking about Operating methods for HF digital modes. So, you know, I thought we had finished digital, but apparently we were missing a whole lot of bands there. So, and it's different. You know, it's not the same uh, on HF as it is for VHF and UHF because we've got a different set of circumstances we're dealing with there. Different atmospherics, different propagation, you name it. Yep. So I think we've got some interesting questions tonight. Some of them, uh, they look pretty easy to me. Others, you may have to scratch your head on a little bit. Uh, We're going to try to do some splaining on some of them. Um, Those that that we feel like we could add something to. I don't know what I'm going to explain on, but I don't know about the general there. You know, he... He probably knows more about this stuff than I do, so maybe he should be the professor tonight. Oh, no. Oh, no. There's no replacement for the professor. I'll, I'll definitely defer to the professor for some explanations, but if there's something I can throw in, you know I will. Okay. Anytime we're doing a show, we're, we've got something else going on at the same time when we're live, and that is, well, what do you think it is? I'm thinking it might be having something to do with the AmateurLogic.tv chat room that's uh, always going on with all the lively conversations and peoples and jokes and other tomfoolery. And there's quite a bit of that in there. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, we, we keep one eye on you there at home and the other eye on the chat room here while we're doing a live show. And we're going to ask the questions, and then we're going to compare our answers to what the chat room says. Sometimes everybody gets it right. Sometimes not 
quite everybody gets it right. And sometimes everybody's taken by surprise, including us. Hmm. So you have to watch you I cheat off of. Is that what you're saying here? That's what I'm saying. Yes. <laughs> okay. It's not a foolproof method if you're going to cheat by watching the chat room. Understood. Okay. Well, uh, I guess maybe we should get on into the first questions for tonight. And being that uh, you're the special guest host tonight, I will let you ask the first question. How does that sound? I'm the asker. Okay. I'll be the asky then. Okay, ASCII? <laughs> yeah, well, it is HF Digital Modes. That's right, we may have ASCII. All right, I'm the asker and you're the ASCII. <laughs> okay. Which of the following types of modulation is common for data emissions below 30 megahertz? Hmm. Is it A, DTMF tones modulating an FM signal, B, FSK, C, pulse modulation, or D, Spread spectrum. Hmm. Hmm. Which of the following types of modulation is common for data emissions below 30 megahertz? So below 30 megahertz, that's going to be the HF bands that we're talking about there. Um, there's a few of these that... Uh, well, I don't want to say anything ugly because somebody might <laughs> might choose one of these answers. But uh, first up, A, DTMF tones modulating an FM signal. There's not really, to my knowledge, anybody much running FM on the HF frequencies. And if they were... I don't think they'd be modulating it with DTMF tones. Let's just get that out of the way. You know, DTMF tones, that's like your touch-tone telephone. Yep. You know, if you hear that on the air, somebody's trying to call an auto patch or something. They're not uh, trying to transfer a digital message. Right, usually on VHF. I'm going to say it's not a... D, spread spectrum. To my knowledge, no one on HF is running spread spectrum unless uh, they're overloading their amplifier or it's poorly tuned or something. It's not intentional. They may be splattering, but as far as running the the spread spectrum modulation, we don't do that on HF. You know, we... We're dealing with narrower slices of bandwidth there. So, yeah, we're not doing any spread spectrum. Pulse modulation. C. I don't think so. But B, FSK. I think that's the one that's frequency shift keying. And out of those four, that's the one that sounds like it's the answer to me. I'm going to say B, FSK. Okay. I think you might be in tune with the chat room with that answer, but we'll see. Uh, I'm looking there, and uh, I think you're right. They're all saying B, so, you know, pretty good chance I got this one right. Let's see. You did. And I did. Okay. Uh, Thanks for that. If you want to stick that Hulk fist up here, we'll (laughs) (laughs) we will uh, yeah, okay. Nice. Frequency shift keying, yep. Frequency shift keying. And I've got a little bit of splaining to do here on this one. If we look at the image at the top there, that's a our carrier frequency. That's just the radio wave. The next image down where it says data there, that's square wave pulses. Well, you know, that's essentially what data is going to be. It's either going to be a high or low, and it just varies in the pulse width and the spacing and all. And if you combine those two together, 
so that every time that signal goes high, it affects the carrier in one way, and when it goes low, it affects it in another way. In other words, we're shifting the frequency of that carrier. We can see that at the bottom. That's what the modulated FSK signal would look like. What do the letters FEC mean as they relate to digital operation? Is it A, forward error correction? Or B, first error correction? Or C, fatal error correction? Or D, final error correction? Hmm. Well, I'm going to have to say that uh, 25 years in IT has helped me out in this regard. And some of that uh, ASCII you were talking about earlier. <laughs> uh, yeah. So as the answer, or oh, I guess I am the ASCII now. So um, <laughs> let's see, I'll, I'll go D, final error correction. Um, I'm, I, don't, I don't like the sound of that, just in general, generally cheap. And fatal error correction. Wow, that's that's pretty final. Um, I don't think it's that one either. And B, first error correction. Well, you know, you can go with plays on words there, but uh, uh, I'm going with A, just because I've seen this in multiple protocols and multiple types of data being transferred uh, forward error correction. I think it's A, George. I'm going to agree with you there. Although fatal error does sound like an enticing answer. Forward error correction. The chat room is 100% behind you as well. All right. Let's see here. There you go. Forward error correction. There you go. You know, one day we're just going to quit doing that. You can't do it virtually. (laughs) It just never works. So, do you want to do some explaining on this one? Well, um, while I don't have the exact uh, explaining in front of me, I do know it has to do with a bit they throw in there and some extra information so that it can figure out whether or not the code being sent is an error or not. Forward error correction is a technique that can be used to detect and correct a limited number of errors in the transmitted data without the need for retransmission. And in this method, the sender sends a redundant error-correcting code along with the data. Uh, The receiver performs the necessary checks based on that additional redundant bits and determines what the correct message was. There are some advantages and disadvantages because forward error correction does not require handshaking between the source and the destination. It can be used for broadcasting of data to many destinations simultaneously from a single source. If you had to have handshaking going on between the sending and receiving station, you could really only have one receiving station. What a handshake is, if I send a set of bits to email He looks at them and determines that, yeah, those are okay. And he acknowledges he got the transmission okay. But if he thinks he didn't get part of it, he sends, what is it, a knack? Right. Yeah, you're establishing a session. Right. Yep. And and then he says, wait a minute, I didn't get that. Send it again. Well, you know, if you're sending a signal once and you got 100 people out there trying to decode it, you can't listen to all of them at the same time. Some of them got it. Some of them might not have. But that's an advantage is that you can send to multiple destinations at once. Another advantage is that FEC saves bandwidth required for retransmission because you only send it once. You don't have to keep resending if a little bit of the data is missing But the main limitation is if there are too many errors, the frames need to be retransmitted. You're not listening to the receiving station, so you don't know that it's going to need to be resent. That could be a little issue right there. Forward error correction, that's just a good way that we can send data out there, and if it doesn't all get there, um, you know, the algorithm can kind of look and say, okay, this, I can see this is right, 
and then there's a little missing piece here, and you got to guess what should be there. Or maybe you just send the data twice, and you compare it. And if you know if you're missing a bit on this transmission, but you got it on that one, fill in the blank. There's a lot of different ways that they do this. Yeah, you know, it's not just a, a single t- type of correction. So. Uh, yeah, a lot of those, different methods. For those networking ner- nerds out there, it's the difference between, let's say, TCP and UDP, right? Best effort on UDP mm-hmm. versus TCP actually establishing that session. Yep. So you can broadcast or stream. So, yeah. Yeah. UDP, you just throw it out there and hope they get it, I guess. That's right. Best effort. <laughs> yep. HTTP, you know, he's going to keep asking to you, you know, give him the whole answer. So. Uh, all right. Nice. So, forward error correction. I'll be the asker. Let's see. How is the timing of FT4 contacts organized? A, by exchanging ACNAC packets. B, stations take turn on alternate days. C, alternating transmissions at 7.5 second intervals. Or D, it depends on the lunar phase. Hmm. How is the timing of FT4 contacts organized? Well, I don't think it depends on the lunar phase. Let me just get that one out of the way. I don't... Oh, I think I'll agree with that one. Yeah. And... By exchanging ACK and NAC packets. I don't think that's it either. B, stations take turns on alternate days. That would be really slow. (laughs) Contact might take a while. Yeah. RC, alternating transmissions at 7.5 second intervals. I think that's your answer right there. You know, Joe Taylor and those boys are pretty sharp. And they've sat down and studied this stuff. And sounds like a, a good way that, I guess, well, let's just see if that's the right answer first. Uh, I'm saying it. See, the chat room? Yeah, they agree. They agree. Although Spike says D is way more fun. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe so, but I don't think that's it. Alternating transmissions at 7.5 second intervals. So in order to do that, I guess you got to have a pretty good clock. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's why they uh, put out that requirement there, speaking of splaining, mm-hmm. for uh, what is it, accuracy of at least on the second, right? One second accuracy? Yeah, I think you're right. Because these uh, four, I think the, you know, Somebody might have to correct me if I'm wrong here, but the 4 and FT4 might be how long that's taken per interval. Yeah, maybe somebody <laughs> other than me, I'm going to yeah, keep my mouth know. shut on that. <laughs> but I know there is the uh, TimeSync uh, app that they you know, tell you to do and make sure you're getting the time so you can be synced with the rest of the people throwing out those alternating signals. Yeah, keeps you from doubling. What is indicated when one of the ellipses in an FSK cross-ellipse display suddenly disappears? Is it A, selective fading has occurred? B, one of the signal filters is saturated. C, the receiver has drifted 5 kilohertz from the desired receiver frequency. Or D, the mark and space signal have been inverted. Hmm. Uh, you know, I I want to say I've seen a, one of these charts or the uh, uh, the graphs in some of the software I've used where there's two ellipses are crossed like this. Mm-hmm. Is that is that right? And I, they're saying here what happens when one of them goes out. Yeah, you only one see, of them disappears. Yeah, suddenly disappears. So let's see. Uh, the mark and space signals have been inverted. Yeah, that sounds tricky. The digital 
you know, inverted. I don't know. I think you'd still see them both if they were inverted, if that's making any sense, actually. Or D, the receivers drifted 5K from the desired receiving frequency. Hmm. Seems so like you you'd lose both of them, huh? That was, yeah. If I'm moving over and my graph's over here, I don't know. But you could, might use one of them if it's a 10K, yeah. but I don't know of any that are 10. Anyway, I'm just putting them through the cheap filter here. Uh, one of the signal's filters is saturated. Well, to me, you might not see an ellipse, but you're going to see something on that one. If it's saturated, you might see something else. But you're going to see something now uh, disappears. And the word fading to me are pertinent here. So a selective fading has occurred is one I'm going to go with. And I've actually pretty much sure I studied this several times in my latest studying. So <laughs> I might be slanted. Okay. Well, the chat room is mostly saying A, although there was one that was A or B. Uh, I'm going to agree with you. I think you're right. Let's see. And you are. Selective fading has occurred. Okay. Now, as far as explaining the selective fading part, hmm. I might have to defer to Professor on that one, if you have one. Okay, well, I'm going to try. I believe what they mean by selective fading is like um, you're getting a signal fade, and it's kind of narrow, and it doesn't get the mark and the space. In other words, maybe the space character, it fades out, at that frequency, but doesn't at the mark. So you're only seeing part of the signal there. You're not seeing the whole thing. And, you know, if you if you listen to, say, short wave, and you notice the fading, we actually demonstrated that, I think, on Amateur Logic a while back. We're going to do something a little different here. This will be a song that probably most of you have heard many times. But we're going to play it backwards. All I want to do is show where the fading occurs. So keep in mind as you watch this that the waterfall is going to be going upside down. The current information that's currently playing will be at the top of the waterfall. But since the audio is going backwards, so is the display. Notice that sort of diagonal area that I've highlighted there with an oval. You can see that the signal level on the sidebands has decreased significantly. Keep your eye on that as it scrolls on up to the very top of the waterfall and you hear the signal fade. Here comes another fade that's even a little deeper. If we notice what's going on in the waterfall, this area of faded signal right here is sort of diagonal. Now, keep in mind that right here at the top of the waterfall is actual real-time playback. If the signal was coming down, it fades first above our carrier frequency. So this sideband here becomes affected. And we can see that fade spot just go on through and come out the other side here in the lower sideband. We only get a complete signal fade right here in the center between the two. Because while the upper sideband is faded out here, we've still got some signal in the lower sideband and we'll be hearing that. Anyway, that's going to taking out a piece of it huh that's going to be my explanation all right now, if anybody in the chat room's got a better one though we'd <laughs> we would like to hear it 
fading part of the signal. Not all. That's what Rick is saying. Yeah, that's. I think that's what I was saying. Now I don't have exactly what we were talking about here. I tried to find it, but I could not find an example. I don't have any software that shows a an ellipse or cross ellipse pattern for digital modes. But what I do have is I've got my IC seventy seven hundred, and on there. There is actually an ellipse display on uh, PSK31 mode where you can see uh, what we're talking about, an ellipse pattern here. Uh, On this rig, if we look at it, circled in red is the ellipse pattern. When we're decoding properly, uh, you can see that is falling in a straight line on this display. Uh, when we stop decoding, like when he stops transmitting, it goes crazy. You see, it can't lock the signal. Yeah, right. And so a crops across the lips pattern is going to be uh, similar in that it'll be stable when you're decoding properly. Uh, when your signal fades, it won't be. It'll be moving around. And you could... You know, I'm saying it's going to be like this instead of two things end to end, like like what you saw there. Yeah. But I don't have anything to demonstrate that with, so that's all I could come up with. How's that? Good enough. <laughs> Good enough. Maybe at least it shows part of the phenomenon there or, uh, you know, what's going on. Let's see if it's a good one for you. Let's see. Okay, which of these digital modes does not support keyboard-to-keyboard operation? A, Pactor. B, Ready. C, PSK31. Or D, MFSK. Which of these digital modes does not support keyboard-to-keyboard operation? Hmm. That's when we're sitting there chatting with each other, right? Yeah, when we do have keyboard to keyboard, yeah, we're chatting. We're having a QSO. Yep. I know you can keyboard to keyboard chat with Riddy, and I know you can do it with PSK31. And, I think that's what you were just showing, wasn't it? Yep. yep. And I believe you can do it with MFSK. Hmm. Pactor, you know, I'm not real familiar with Pactor, but out of the four choices there, it's the one I don't know about. So I'm going to say it must be that uh, Pactor is, does not support keyboard to keyboard. Maybe, maybe that's more like uh, transferring data or transferring a file or something. Or bulletin. I, I am unsure of the exact usages of Pactor. I bet you probably know, but uh, I'm going to say a. Okay, so your I had to wait for you to say it officially. <laughs> yeah, the the chat room and I agree with your logic, and so does the answer. <laughs> okay, so what is Pactor? Yeah, you, you're right. So Pactor is one of the modes that are built into most of the old TNCs that would establish those uh, connections and send data, binary files or emails, right, or messages. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, uh, Pactor has been around, and there's several versions of that protocol. So, um, in fact, today, one of the higher speed ones, right, version 4, I think it is. Pretty expensive, not generally cheap modems, but right. they're out there. Right? Yeah, it's it's like uh, shipboard stuff. Maybe. Yes. Yeah. yeah, and they're connecting up to basically WinLink and other data-driven uh, networks, rather than keyboard chat to chat. Yeah, so we probably don't have that on our uh, Raspberry Pi four images yet. Not yet. well. Yeah, probably not. Yeah, I don't know. Not the paid one. Uh, or the, uh, yeah, I'm sure that's pretty proprietary so far. Yeah. I I kind of was looking for it a while back. I don't remember why. There was some kind of 
data that I wanted to see, and that's how it was being transmitted on HF. But, uh, unfortunately, when I saw the price tag, nope. <laughs> yeah. I think I'll pass on that. And that, you know, I think the, just a little bit more about that one, because yes, I have studied that one and I am looking at stuff, but the, um, I noticed one of our, who, who is the ham that we know uh, goes out to Puerto Rico? Oh, that's Andy, and he, yeah. he's in the chat room. Yeah, I believe so. So, you know, the modems, I think it, the maybe P4 Dragons or something like that, those are pretty pricey modems. And I know the FCC sometimes waives the rates, the symbol rate rules mm-hmm. for emergency situations. And that's that's one of those modes that can go really quick. But, yeah, it's all about data. Yeah, and I noticed uh, Andy said his cost $1,299. There you go. Yeah. Thank you, Andy. Two years old now. Wow. But, you know, if if you kind of have that data, yep. they, they kind of got you. And I, I'm pretty sure they're very, very good uh, product. And oh, like yeah. you said, the shipping, the marine industry uses them quite a bit. Yeah, because you just don't have an option for for not getting that transmission through correctly. What is the most common data rate used for HF packet? Is it A, 48 baud? B, 110 baud? C, 300 baud? Or D, 1200 baud? Coming up in uh, the 80s as a nerd and uh, having... The uh, HF networks that I know are out there now, and I've actually used. <laughs> so definitely know the answer to this one. But let's go. Let's go through some of this logic here. So a forty-eight baud. Uh, I'm thinking that's just way too low um, of a rate there. Even though HF usually uses lower rates, that's way down there. Um, B one hundred and ten baud. Okay, still too low. Still too low. And uh, C three hundred baud. Um, hmm, yeah, uh, that's probably the way it is because I know it is and what I set my stuff to <laughs> when I go to HF packet, uh, networks. So in D1200, I'm pretty sure is up, used up primarily for, uh, VHF on the, uh, packet networks today on that thing. So I'm going with C 300 baud and that's my final answer. And that's what the people in the chat room are saying that are answering. I'm going to agree with you. I think it's C as well. And it is. Uh, Yeah, I remember my first modem was 300 baud. Painfully slow. (laughs) Uh, You could almost decode it. Yeah. So why... Why don't we have 1,200 baud on HF, Emil? Um, I'm guessing bandwidth limitations and likely, I, I don't know if symbol rate's an issue there, but bandwidth, you know, to fit something within that 2.8K or 3K is going to be an issue with 1,200 baud because I think it's a little wider. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I think it's um, it's probably bandwidth. I don't know if it would be group delay. Or um, phasing of the signal. You know, I mean, to the higher you go on a baud rate, the more techniques they're doing to modulate that signal. To where when you get to like what they're doing on fiber and and on the uh, cable internet and all now, it's ridiculous. It's not like uh, AM modulation or something. No, they are squeezing and chunking and phasing and Yep. Doing all of this stuff simultaneously. And, yeah. Um, yep. It's hard to squeeze. Well, I mean, uh, I guess the phone companies got really good and the, the hardware manufacturers got really good squeezing a lot of stuff into that, uh, what were they, POTS lines, right? The 9.6K lines? Yeah. Or 56. They, we eventually got to 56K. Right. Not everywhere would support that, though. I mean, you know. Right. Well, I mean, they could shove, yeah, with the compression and the uh, other things, they could shove all kind of stuff, even on the 9600 or the 9.6K 
pot slimes. They could shove all kind of things on there. So I think we're still – the HF bands are still back there in the 80s with that requirement, but that's okay. Yeah. It works when everything else doesn't. Mm-hmm. And 300 baud, if you had to, you could live with it because we did. Yeah. You know? It does work. Yep. We're going to take a quick break here and stretch our legs and maybe get a get a little snack or something. We'll be right back. What's to eat? What's to drink? Good food galore. Quick as a wink. Ice cream bars. It's the handy way to enjoy smooth, rich, creamy ice cream. Get some. Love is on the air at ICOM. This sweetheart of a package with the IC705 is the perfect sidekick for hams that like to enjoy what both the great indoors and outdoors have to offer. It's the perfect QRP companion, base station features and functionality at the tips of your fingers in a portable package covering HF 6 meters, 2 meters, and 70 centimeters. This compact rig weighs in at just over 2 pounds, RF direct sampling for most of the HF band, IF sampling for frequencies above 25 megahertz. The perfect accessory for the IC705 is the now available optional LC192 backpack with a special compartment for your IC705 and room for accessories for soda activations or a day in the park. 4.3 inch color touchscreen with live band scope and waterfall, 5 watts with the BP272 battery pack, or 10 watts with external 13.8 volt DC. Single sideband, CW, AM, FM, as well as full D-Star functions. Micro USB connector, Bluetooth, and wireless LAN. Integrated GPS with antenna and GPS logger. Micro SD card slot. HM243 speaker microphone. And it supports QRP and QRPP operations. The perfect accessory for the IC705 is the now available optional LC192 backpack with a special compartment for your IC705 and room for accessories for soda activations or a day in the park. Other available accessories include the AL705 QRP portable magnetic antenna, BP272 standard battery pack, or BP307 lithium-ion battery pack, micro-USB to micro-USB cable, USB Type-C to micro-USB cable, DC power cable, compact lapel PTT microphone with earphone, MBF705 desktop tray. And coming soon, the AH705 antenna tuner. Visit icomamerica.com slash amateur for more information on all the great ICOM radios. Wow, what's that aftershave you're wearing? You high karate aftershave is so powerful, it drives women right out of their minds. That's why we have to put instructions on self-defense in every package. High Karate, the brisk splash-on aftershave that smooths and soothes and cools. Any experience with that? Well, you know, um, I can't drag my camera. I am a black belt in Taekwondo, so I I preferred the uh, High Taekwondo. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right. Uh, Glenn says that's false advertising on the High Karate. I'll have to agree, Glenn. I never had that issue. (laughs) this icom ham crew t-shirt that has been wadded up in the drawer over here ever since the pandemic began um as as tommy says if you're wearing this you're gonna look as good coming as you are going nice it's the icom ham crew t-shirt to top that off you're also going to get one of these right here. It's the ICOM cap. Nice. I like it. it oh, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> there we go. And is it dog proof? We don't no, know. Not if it's in my house, it's not. Not if it's at email's house. <laughs> so if you'd like to win ICOM Ham Crew t-shirt 
and an ICOM cap, as well as whatever else Jesse might stick in the box. Because he does stick some extra stuff in there from time to time, I think. How could you go about doing that, Emil? Do you know? I'm thinking if you email something to hamcollege at amateurlogic.tv, you might have a chance to win something. Uh, that is correct. And, you know, there's no requirements on that email. All you got to have is a name and an email address to play along. You don't have to be licensed. Uh, you can drop us a little message in there if you would like to. But at the minimum, we're going to need to know who you are and have a way to reply to you. And we drew a winner right before the show tonight. I drew a random number, and here is our winner. He said, got my license back in the 70s and like to keep up with the new questions they're throwing out these days. You guys are doing great. Fun to watch. 7-3, James Strong, K-0-P-M. Well, congratulations, James. You'll be hearing from ICOM very soon. And, Jesse, we'll get you hooked up there. Congrats, James. And the rest of you, go uh, after the show tonight. Send us an email, hamcollege at amateurlogic.tv, and we might be calling your name next month. Which of the following is a possible reason that attempts to initialize contact with a digital station on a clear frequency are unsuccessful? Is it A, your transmitting frequency is incorrect? Or B, the protocol version you are using is not supported by the digital station? Or C, another station you are unable to hear is using the frequency? Or D, all of these choices are correct. All right. So the key is I'm attempting to initiate something with another station on a frequency that is clear, and it's unsuccessful. So, a let's see, transmit is incorrect. Well, yeah, if I'm on the wrong frequency, that's not going to work. I'm on a different frequency or the other one. Yeah, if I'm on a different frequency than the one I'm trying to contact, yep, that won't work. Okay, that sounds good. The protocol version you are using is not supported by the digital station that I'm trying to contact right and so i guess if we're using the wrong version of free software then yeah that's not going to work either usually and then see another station you are unable to hear is using the frequency okay that would mean it's the frequency's busy but propagation between me and that other station i just can't hear them but maybe the one i'm trying to contact can hear them so i'm i'm going with d all of those sound like reasons that would cause an unsuccessful attempt for me to hit somebody else. What do you think, Professor? I think I'm going to have to agree with you there. Um, everyone in the chat room does. You know, you're batting 100 so far. Um, we need you know, little- all that software, Professor, is cheap. So I'm generally cheap, and I'm I got all of those free softwares. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, obviously that's the right answer there. Each one of those, uh, you know, protocol versions matter. That, but as you said, in most cases, or in some cases, not every case, there might be some versions of software that you know, are backwardly compatible from version to version, but um, a lot of them are not. They change stuff up enough that, you know. Oh, yeah, and they'll warn you. Most of those will warn you, saying that, you you know, you need to download the latest version because you're going to be missing half the people out there with the new version. Okay. And Rick brought up an interesting point here. Is your dog feeding you the answers? That my dog is sitting outside the window, and I hear barks in bark code. So I, I think there might be something there. I have to pay closer attention to see if it's the right answers. Now, what baud rate is that? <laughs> it's it's uh 
at least three bark. Three bark. It's not bought. It's bark. Okay. Okay. I got you. All right. All right. Which of the following HF digital modes can be used to transfer binary files? A, Hellscriber. B, Pactor. C, Riddy. Or D, Amtor. Hmm. Which following HF digital modes can be used to transfer binary files? While I'm not sure exactly what Amtor is, I do remember it was in some old TNCs and stuff. I believe it was, but I haven't used Amtor. Uh, can't say for sure on that one. C, Ritty. Well, no, you can't transfer files with Ritty. That's more or less like we were discussing earlier, keyboard-to-keyboard type of communications. A, Hellscriber. I believe that's keyboard-to-keyboard as well. Um, But B, Pactor. You know, we talked about Pactor a little earlier. It would be a good choice for transferring binary files. So knowing that, I'm just going to have to say B, you know. Not positive about Amtor, but if there can only be one correct answer, I think it's got to be Pactor. I think you in the bi- uh I'm sorry, <laughs> B for binary. <laughs> I think you in the chat room are right about that one, and uh, I have not used Amtor either. So, um, but I think you're right about the other three. In fact, the Hellscriber, you can actually see that on. It's like a fax. Right. So I don't know you're going to be transferring binary over that. So I think you're right. Okay. Well, let's uh, see on this one. Which of the following HF digital modes uses variable length coding for bandwidth efficiency? Is it A, Ready? Or B, Pactor? C, MT63? Or D, PSK-31. Hmm. All right. So really, you know, I've seen some pretty good, with all these SDRs and uh, band scopes around, I've seen some pretty wide stuff on uh, really, depending on the shift and uh, things. And then I've also seen, you know, it's talking about bandwidth efficiency MT63, I know, I've seen way, we've actually had some emergency nets here which use that mode, and it's wide. It's uh, It uses a lot of uh, bandwidth, if I'm not mistaken. And Pactor sending um, digital or binary files and other things, like you're saying, uh, like we've already talked about twice now. But variable length coding hmm i'm i'm okay so i'm gonna focus on the bandwidth efficiency professor and go with d because i know that 31 is all about i think the speed and i've seen psks do you still have that picture of your 7700 look at that where your your marker is it's a very small uh bandwidth there Yep. Where you're the T, you know, the T on the display there, the waterfall. Mm-hmm. Yep. We're seeing very, like three signals there side by side. Right. And that one you were decoding was very small. So I'm going with PSK 31. I think that's a D. Yeah. I'm going to agree with you. PSK 31. And it is. Nice. PSK 31. And you're right about the bandwidth efficiency. You know, that's that's what the question was, but using variable length coding. Do you know what that is? Uh, variable length coding. You know, I can't say that I do. Well, I think I do. You know, all these other modes like RIDI, Pactor, MT63, Every character is taking the same number of bits. But in PSK31, they've reduced the length of some of those symbols or characters 
to where they're shorter than others. And you're proving efficiency because you don't need to send as many bits. All right. What is the difference between direct FSK and audio FSK? A, direct FSK applies the data signal to the transmitter VFO, while AFSK transmits tones via phone. B, direct FSK occupies less bandwidth. Or C, Direct FSK can transmit faster baud rates. Or D, only direct FSK can be decoded by computer. All right, what's the difference between direct FSK and audio FSK? I'll start at the bottom there. Only uh, D, only direct FSK can be decoded by computer. No, that's not true. I don't think the computer is going to know one way or the other. Uh, it's going to see the same thing on the receiver. Uh, C, direct FSK can transmit faster baud rates. No, I don't believe that's true either. B, direct FSK occupies less bandwidth. No, there again, I think you're, you know, on the receiving end, you're not going to really know the difference between the two. It's the way that that you are modulating the signal on your, on your rig. A, direct FSK applies a data signal to the transmit VFO, while AFSK transmits tones via phone. So... Okay, you saying A? I'm saying it's A. It's like uh, the difference between CW and modulated CW. Uh, you familiar? Yeah, you're sending the beep over the audio mm-hmm. chain. Yep. Instead of the, uh, yeah, yeah, I got gotcha. you. How do ALE stations establish contact? A, ALE constantly scans a list of frequencies Activating the radio when the designated call sign is received. Or B, LAE radios monitor an internet site for the frequency they are being paged on. C, ALE radios send a constant tone code to establish a frequency for future use. Or D, ALE radios activate when they hear their signal echoed back by scatter. Okay, um, so ALE, if I'm not mistaken, is automatic link establishment, and I'm I'm familiar with it because some of the uh, softwares, especially the free ones, use it. Um, and I know, let's see, ALE radios activate when they hear signals echoed back via scatter. So I don't think this has anything to do with scatter. So I'm ruling out D. C, ALE radio send constant tone code to establish a frequency for future use. Um, I don't think they constantly send out tones. No, otherwise, they wouldn't be able to hear. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, B, uh, um, ALE radios monitor an internet site for the frequency they are being paged on. So that that internet site thing kind of grates against my MCOM side of things. So let's read E again. ALE constant oh, A. I'm sorry. ALE constantly scans a list of frequencies, activating the radio when the designated call sign. Okay, so it's using call signs and it's scanning, listening. I like the sound of that, and I think they only momentarily send out. The information. So that's, I'm going with A just because the logic ruled out the other three question, or answers. That's a logical conclusion. I, I might be wrong because some protocols do use the internet stuff, but mm-hmm. I'm going with A because I think people want to establish things via the radio instead of the internet. <laughs> uh, good point. Uh, chat room, those who are answering are saying it's A. All I'm right. going to agree with you. 
I think it's A as well. <laughs> and it is. Marty says A at least starts with A. There you go. Another logic. <laughs> it's yeah, amateur I logic. I don't know I would use that one on my exam, though, Marty. I, yeah. <laughs> um, so what do you know about ALE, Mill, other than, you know, A is the answer here? Well, I know um, that ALE is that there are lists of frequencies that the, your rig is going to, you know, change and cycle through looking for calls, the burst of calls from other stations to know that the propagation is there between you. I think this is all about propag- finding the right band, almost like the beacon network, except for to establish digital comms, if I'm not mistaken, or, or to, for someone to know what paths are open between two stations. That's what I remember learning about ALE. Okay. Yeah, that is, that's correct. And I had to do some research on this last night because it, it piqued my interest. I've never used this mode, but I like what I found. Uh, And I'm, I'm pretty interested, man. I may want to try this out. Automatic link establishment. Yeah, like you say, it's a list of frequencies. And I, they don't all have to be in the same band, which is good. Because you may not be able to get through to who you're trying to contact on this band, but you might on another. So you're scanning a list of frequencies. The other station is transmitting, you know, Uh, messages on those other frequencies. And they also send error codes in there with it in those transmissions. And you you may receive that other station on more than one frequency, you know, if they're transmitting on several. But you're just listening, you know, on each of these. You're scanning through. And if you... Pick it up on one one of the frequencies and none of the others, well, then you're going to establish a link on that particular channel. But if you're picking it up on, say, two different frequencies, by having those error codes in there as well, the protocol can can look at it and determine this path is better on this frequency because I'm getting less errors here. So it'll establish the link on on that frequency. Best path. Yep. Okay. So, uh, from what I read, you know, this is used by the government a lot. I bet Andy knows something about this. Uh, yeah. We have eight locked frequencies that are scanning for signals all the time. If a signal is detected, there's a set of rules that say what the next frequency is to be tried. The error code is what dictates the next frequency. Nice. I didn't realize that. But anyway, um, that's that's pretty cool. I'm thinking for like, uh, say I want to talk to VE3MIC yeah. up there in Ontario. You know, there's, uh, we've got a number of different bands that we could could try to talk on. But, you know, sitting there trying to try them out one at a time yeah, could, could be a little problematic, although that's what we've done in the past. But what if we were, were using ALE? Now, there's a lot of, you know, good high-priced radios that have it built in it. Uh, I don't think any, you know, marketed ham transceiver does, but we have software, mm-hmm. and it is free. That Woo-hoo. that we can do this with is hams. Nice. And I'm thinking, you know, that would be pretty cool. Um, Mike and I could uh, say establish a set of frequencies there that we might want to try this on. Andy says it automatically picks out the next frequency depending on the error code. So I don't know. Uh, I, I need to do more research in it. But I mean that way. Once the link is established, you've got your choice of you can, you know, do a digital transmission or you can go analog then. 
You can go voice at that. Point. I was wondering about that, whether yep. the intent was to give put you in front of another keyboard to keyboard type chat or something else like voice to know what works, just path determination. So you could probably do either. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So if we were running that on both ends, we could see when one station is receiving the other, and there are actually alarms and things that can be triggered off of that. So say if Mike is is trying to call me, once my rig establishes I'm receiving him on this particular frequency, it can signal an alarm on my end to say, hey, you got a call coming in. Nice. Or an email. Or an email. Yeah. Or a link. Or. There you go. <laughs> that could be how that works. That's right. It was futuristic technology. <laughs> but anyway, that seems extremely cool to me to have that capability. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to have to try to check it out. I guess the biggest problem is antennas, you know. Uh, do you use one broadband antenna that covers all of this? Or do you use multiple antennas? Yeah, you better have a... Right, right, right. But uh, the the software on certain rigs, you know, that the software recognizes, it can use the automatic antenna tuner that's built in your rig. Yeah. Multi-band, right, especially if you hop in bands. Yep. Yep. Better off with resonant antennas, but hey, <laughs> you know. <laughs> If all you, you got is the auto-tuner and one antenna, you might get through. Yeah. Now, I want to back up here for a moment because I saw something that um, that Tom posted earlier that we probably should mention. We were talking about uh, this question right here. What's the difference between direct FSK and audio FSK? And, you know, we gave, or I gave the... Uh, example of uh, modulated CW versus CW. Uh, Tom WA2IVD, one of our net controls on the soundcheck net, said that from Wikipedia, unlike A1A CW, A2A modulated CW will produce an audible audio tone from an AM receiver that is not equipped with a beat oscillator. MCW is commonly used by RFD beacons to transmit the station identifier. You know, it hadn't occurred to me that that would be an advantage of that, but, uh, yeah. It would, um, because you're not going to have that beat, or you're not going to hear anything if you're listening on an AM radio without a BFO. All right, which one of these digital modes has the fastest data throughput under clear communication conditions? A, Amtor. B, 170 hertz shift, 45 baud ready. C, PSK 31. Or D, 300 baud packet. Which of these digital modes has the fastest data throughput under clear communications conditions okay well just right off um, you can rule out B because it says 45 baud ready and D says 300 baud packet Uh, yeah I'm going to go with the 300 baud packet between those two Um, Amtor I just don't know that much about Amtor. Yeah. PSK31. It's good, but, I mean, we're we're going for um, minimum bandwidth there, you know, most efficient. So most efficient doesn't usually equal fastest. So... I'm going to say it's D, 300-baud packet, just because I know 300-baud is about all that we can squeeze out of an HF signal. Mm, the chat room is mixed on this one, George, between C and D. 
They are. However, I'm agreeing with you because I think PSK that 31 is very indicative. Most of us, most of us computer nerds of the day, can type faster than that. <laughs> yeah. That mode, if you've ever run that mode, you can type. I'm not sure I could type faster than 300 baud. Maybe. Maybe. Hmm. No, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, well, let's just see what the answer is. And it is 300 baud packet. Another no buzzer evening. Mm-hmm. I know people like to hear the buzzer. Uh I guess it just costs too much to operate, though, so we try to avoid using it every chance we get, <laughs> especially if we want to pass that test we're studying for. That's right. Well, I, pre- I appreciate you letting me uh, fill in for the, the dean, and hope the, hopefully the dean will return because we need to pay tuition to somebody. Well, i got to say for a guy who's generally cheap, <laughs> you did an outstanding job tonight of standing in and yeah the dean should be back next he had just you know had another gig scheduled for tonight well i think his agent scheduled it his agent all right yeah and he just couldn't make it tonight but um, he should be back for the next episode all right seven three everyone have a good week What is, um, wait a minute, let's, let's go back in time just a a little bit. (laughs) Okay, we're back. So I don't know you're going to be transferring binary over that. So I think you're right.